0: I remember someone seeing my work and they asked me that, why do you only draw white people? At first I was like, what are you talking about? I got like really defensive and then I stopped and I thought and I was like, I do only draw white people. It really kind of put a mirror up to me and I don't, I was like, why is that? And I think it was this thing where it was like, I mean, is that that internalized racism? Is it because I grew up primarily in the Midwest? That I think it's just, that's the culture, that's what I grew up around. it's just like, I, d- I didn't have that opportunity to see myself. My name is Jonathan Hill, and I'm a modern minority.
1: Welcome to Modern Minorities.
2: This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different.
1: I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Roman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't
2: matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority.
1: This is a show about all of you, for all of us.
2: On today's show, we're talking to Jonathan Hill, an award-winning cartoonist, illustrator, and educator living in Portland, Oregon. Jonathan is the creator of numerous graphic novels, including Americus, Odessa, and Tales of a Seventh-Grade Lizard Boy. And your guess of which one of those is about a sci-fi dystopia is probably wrong. But all of Jonathan's works hit on some pretty relevant themes of family and belonging. I actually read America's years ago without realizing Jonathan was the illustrator, and more recently, I discovered Odessa and was blown away, even more so after reading the afterword and a little bit more about Jonathan and his approach, so naturally, I had to reach out. Beyond being a graphic novelist, Jonathan's an accomplished cartoonist with clients like Microsoft, the Portland Trailblazers, the Vietnam Literature Project, the Inlander, Fantagraphics Books, Dark Horse Comics, Tor.com, the Believer Magazine, Literary Arts, and Powell's City of Books in Portland. And he's been the staff illustrator to The Asian Reporter since 2007. Jonathan also teaches comics and visual narrative. He was an associate professor in the illustration department at the Pacific Northwest College of Art from 2014 to 2021, building the comics curriculum from the ground up, taught comics and illustration classes for youth programs at the Oregon College of Art and Craft from 2010 to 2018, and was writer in residence through literary arts writers in the schools program from 2012 to 2016. Jonathan currently serves on the Board of Directors of Literary Arts and chairs the Youth Program's Advisory Council. So while all of that is pretty impressive, when I reached out to Jonathan about coming on the podcast, he actually wanted to share to me to first read his latest book, Tales of a Seventh-Grade Lizard Boy. Now, the title is kind of out there, but it does that thing that great fiction does. It wraps an important theme in a seemingly fantastic narrative. While there is a Vietnamese-American family as part of the story, let's just say the main characters are also not from around here. And as Sharon and I got to know Jonathan a little bit better, we really got to understand the why behind so many of Jonathan's storytelling choices. I definitely recommend Tales of a 7th Grade Lizard Boy for any of us who have ever just wanted to belong, or for folks who need a better understanding of what it's like. Because again, minority voices for all of our majority ears. But if you want a heartfelt journey set in a sci-fi dystopia, then also check out Odessa. Whatever you do read of Jonathan's, he is just one of those empathetic creators whose works you'll really want to keep an eye on for years to come. So let's get right to it. We hope you enjoy sharing in my chat with our new friend, Jonathan Hill. Jonathan, welcome to the pod. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So Jonathan, where are you from?
0: So this is a tough question. I always say all over. Because I was born in the Upper Peninsula of um, Michigan in Marquette. But my dad's company that he worked for contracted with the Army. So we moved around um, about every four years. So I spent early elementary school in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I spent most of middle school in um, Rolla, Missouri. Um, And then we moved overseas um, for most of high school. And then after that, I went to school in Savannah, Georgia. And then I kind of had spent my adult life in Portland, Oregon.
1: Do people ever stop you and say, okay, wait, hold on, Jonathan, where are you really from?
0: Um, So, well, I love that you asked that question because I don't know if you saw, I actually did a comic for the Believer magazine that kind of deals with that question. So, But I'm actually, I'm Vietnamese American. My dad is like third generation Finn. And then my mom is a Vietnamese refugee.
2: Did that come up in conversation at the dinner table? (laughs) Did you? So it's like hard for me to kind of, now that I'm a parent of young kids, you know, playing my experience back to my kids is not as dramatic as, honestly, the ones my parents kind of played back at me. I mean, other, I mean, obviously when they get older, or you got older to understand they tell you that, but how did that manifest them kind of telling you those stories as a kid? Well, you know, I think a big part of growing up
0: for me was just storytelling um just in terms of like you know my my mom's story my uncle's story and, and her side of the family we did get a lot of that you know and it's it's funny and because my my uncle he we spent a t- lot of time with him growing up because he he lived with us and he was almost like kind of closer closer than an uncle but not going a parent you know sort of thing you know, he would tell the stories and and then my mom would also tell some of the stories of living in Vietnam and their escape from Vietnam. How old were they when they left? You know, I think my uncle, um, yeah, you know, like, ugh, I'm gonna, I hope they're not listening to this because then maybe I'll <laughs> fail the like family crest of like knowing these. Ages none none right. of
1: our parents listen to this. They they, they prefer our day jobs. Yeah, yeah I know, right? We, we all make up our family histories on this show.
0: But I know they were, they were really young and so now I'm gonna have to do the math. Um, but I think, you know, my my uncle was maybe 12 Okay. Um, and however older my mom was and that not much older than him.
2: Yeah. So adolescence.
0: Yeah. And so I, I still, you know, I, I I can't fathom that experience now. Um, But even when I was younger, you know, you really can't grasp that. And then, you know, even my dad's side of the family, I mean, you know, and then I don't know if you know anything about, you know, the the upper peninsula of Michigan, but they're just like, like my whole family is like bullshitters, right? Like that's that's a story, that, but that's <laughs> but that's a form of storytelling too, right? Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah, just like you yeah. go, you go up. You know, we were up there in 2019 to take my father's ashes. He's since passed, but um, you know, to to take his ashes sort of back home and just being around that family and they're just always telling stories and always laughing and you know that you're kind of like filtering out what's true a little bit because they just, they all are about telling the best story and getting the most laughs or something, you know what I mean? And i so it's funny. Cause I think, you know, with my, my uncle, he, he grew up there, you know? So he, he has this, like, he has the Vietnamese background that what happened to him, but then he also, he's part Finn kind of almost. And so he is kind of that bullshitter in him too. And so it's kind of interesting to right, get, like, sorry, admit.
2: keep saying part Finn. I have no idea what that means. Oh, I'm-
0: Finnish. Oh from Finland. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're a huge Finnish population in the north and you know, in uh Scandinavian population in the Midwest, especially in the upper peninsula, of Michigan. Yeah. They're 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 called Upers because they're the from the U, the UP. So they all have, you know, all my dad's side of the family has the thick accent like this, you know. Uh wow. use guys, all that sort of thing. So that was a very interesting. So that's that's what I grew up with. That's you know what I mean? Like, you know, the Finnish culture and then the Vietnamese culture too. So and
1: lots of crazy stories that were being told. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because of all those stories, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, what's funny, I mean, you know,
0: I think when I was younger, I, I wanted to be like, I think the, my parents will tell you the first thing I said I wanted to be was like a garbage man. Really? I thought that was the coolest thing to like go through. Not the truck, man. Yeah, oh, yeah also- exactly. The truck, and then to go through to go through people's junk. I think what my family like loves junk too. Like we always had my we have like a junk drawer. My dad's you know like workshop had when we were growing up had half finished projects and just junk everywhere, and I just loved that idea. And then, of course, as a kid, I wanted to get it. I got into dinosaurs, and I love drawing the dinosaurs because I always drew. I've always drawn, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until you know. I didn't really know what I wanted to be. Um, and then I think by the time it was time to apply to college and you have to think about, you know, what you're going to do as a job. I still didn't know, but I knew that kind of, I thought to myself the only thing I was really good at was drawing. And so I went to art school, not really knowing what that profession would be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, the, yeah. I mean, we I didn't have the internet in the way that the internet exists now. So like, I didn't really have a lot of guidance about like, well, okay, what what is, you'd love to draw, but what does this mean if you turn this into
2: a profession? Mm-hmm. And I
0: kind of found that out when I was in college,
2: you know? I, I have to ask selfishly, uh, only because this is something I dealt with. And obviously we have very different career trajectories, but like, how did your parents react to your hobby turned passion, turned skill, turned aspiration for art in those early days?
0: Yeah, you know, my, my parents, I mean, I, they have always supported me being an artist and me drawing, I think when I was, and so it's so funny. My mom will tell this story that, like, I didn't learn to talk until like later, hmm. but I would like draw. She has a story that she tells where, um, I something happened and I was like, when I was really young and I was upset with her. And so I, found a piece of paper and I drew like a sad face and like put it on her bed. And so like, I, like, here's the thing. It's like the validity of that story, again, family of bullshitters, like how true is that? You know what I mean? Because like, but what's funny is I, so I did a read, like my, my read it, the reading I did for lizard boy at Powell's, which is a huge bookstore here in Portland. Um, My my mom has just moved up here. And so she was able to be at this story or at the, at this reading. I tell the story She raises her hand. I think she's going to ask a question. No, she tells that story over again and corrects me on all the different ways that I was wrong about telling the story. And I was like, I was like so embarrassed. I was like, only my mom is like correcting. Which, But what's funny is like, that was the story that I heard growing up. And so she's telling me a different version of the story. So I don't know. There's something really interesting about that too, right? In terms of like memory. Yeah. And and also, like I said, when we tell stories, we all kind of bullshit a little bit. So like how much of it is, is her memory is true? How much of my memory? I mean, I don't remember much of it. So I'm basing the story based off what she told me.
2: Right. And every retelling kind of changes the story.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so like, I, I think it's kind of frustrating, but also there's something beautiful in that because that's, I mean, that's what we've been doing as humans for forever, Right. But, um, so anyhow, to to kind of, I know that that was sort of a long-winded answer, but they, you know, but I think I, I feel incredibly lucky that, I mean, my parents have always sort of supported me, even you know, I won't say that they've been like, my dad is very hands-off growing up. And I think that he actually, um, he never pursued the arts, but I think it's something he maybe would have loved to if he was given the opportunity. But I think, you know, our parents' generation don't have the luxury they didn't have the luxury that we do, right? To yeah. just be like, um, "I am going to like go to art school and draw comics," right? They right, were like, right. "Okay, no, like you, 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 like you get kicked out of the house when you're 18 because you, you know what I mean? Like you have to find a job or something. Or at least that's what happened to my dad, you know. And so, like, I think that he always, he always wanted to pursue that, and he never got the chance. And so I think he really supported me in doing that. And I think my mom, she's always supported me, but she's always been like, uh. Mm, you know maybe don't forget you can always go back to grad school and <laughs> and be a doctor yeah, and do something else you know what i mean like i and i think you know she's never been pushy in that way of like you know lawyer doctor engineer sort of thing but just like mm-hmm. maybe something that is like more stable, you know what I mean? Like, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, like, I think even until maybe the last couple of years, she's been like, you can always go back to grad school. Don't forget, that's a thing you can do, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, I'm like, I've had three books published, like, and I like, (laughs) uh, you know, like, and I'm making a living, like, you know, I don't know, you know, so.
1: Growing up with mom and dad like that, how is your home life different from your friends? Uh,
0: You know, I think, I didn't realize how different it was until maybe I was a little older, maybe in like late elementary school, early middle school. And, you know, friends would come over Mm -hmm. and we'd have dishes that they'd be like, what's that smell? Or that's weird. You know what I mean? Because it's also, you know, like I grew, like I spent, I don't really remember much about Colorado or having like close friends, but you know, I think when you're old, like when you're in like you know, third, fourth grade and then middle school, that's when you start having like friends over, sleepovers and things like that. And like, you know, especially when I was in third grade, actually maybe it was like, I think it was maybe, I, again, like I can't remember these dates and things, but uh, I think it was in third grade. My family, uh, my mom's family came from Vietnam to live with us. Mm. So that was like a huge life change because now all of a sudden, you know, we had, I'm trying to think like three or four aunts um, and two cousins, and they don't really speak English. And we're eating rice every single day for every meal. <laughs> and I remember as a kid, like it was, we, you know, cause we eat rice and my mom would cook Vietnamese food sometimes. But like, it was, a, th- I remember a thing where like as a kid, I remember having nightmares about rice because we were eating it every single meal. And I hadn't experienced that because we grew up, you know, I grew up in the dominant culture. I was in like, you know, it was the Midwest in the 80s, in the 90s, you know what I mean? Like, I was like a pizza, I'm a pizza and hamburgers kid, even though I love, you know, like Vietnamese food and Asian food. And so it was- well, Let me let
2: me ask that question or uh, a, a frame on that. When did you start loving Vietnamese food? Because if I think about like eating dal, rice, subji every effing night of my life as a kid, now I wish I could do that. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I think we we ate it, you know, we ate it often growing up and
0: I always, I always liked it. I always loved it. I think it was just this thing of like having rice for every meal. Even if we were like, even if we ordered pizza- yeah, we'd yeah. eat rice too. We'd have rice too. And I was mm. just like, it was like haunting me. And so I think, you know, that was the thing though too, is like it was growing up, uh, that was nice for me is that like, you know, you, you, friends would come over and they'd be like, what's pho? And then they'd eat it and like, they'd be like, this is really good. And they're like, when your parents eat cooking that thing again that we, re- that we never had, that was really good. And then, you know, and then I think I really appreciate it in high school, my dad is very, and I think it's a, it's the it's the Finn, he's he's very like taciturn and like doesn't speak. He was he was very kind of private. And so I'd always I think growing up, I always wanted to try to get some of these stories out of him. Even though he would tell stories, sometimes it's hard it'd be hard to dig, dig, dig. And so what I would ask him to do is he would cook pho and in high school I'd have my friends over and just ask him to tell those stories about Vietnam. And it was like a way for for me to like share, even though it was my dad cooking because my my parents got divorced when I was very young. I think it was around when I was in third grade, but like, so that was something I always like cherished. Sometimes we don't have the opportunity to be like, Hey mom or dad's like, I want to know more about your life. Please tell it to me. You know, like that's kind of hard ho- awkward to bring up. And so like, I love these opportunities for me to share something that was so close to me growing up as like Vietnamese food. And, you know, I had an appreciation for that more as I got older, but then also share
2: have my dad share parts of his life with me and my friends. And so, yeah, I I feel like it's hard to put your parents on the spot unless they feel like, because usually when they tell a story, it's something in the moment reminds them of it. Or I find myself doing that with my kids. But yeah, as I've gotten older, you know, I see my folks less and less. And it's like, hey, let's it's late at night, washing the dishes, you know, after the kids are in bed. Like for some reason, that's when the stories come out, you know, Mm -hmm. more lately. I, I know my parents aren't listening, but my sister is listening, but that's like the hack. <laughs> the hack is like, find them in like a quiet moment doing something else. And like, mm-hmm. that's when the stories come out. That's when, I hate to say when their are guards down, because I would imagine more so with Vietnam than say maybe what my folks had, although there's some stuff in like African India, but like those stories are hard to come by and sometimes they're kind of like shielded away. or Or even all of the stories are shielded away, even the happy ones, because of the hard things that kind of, dominate that part of their break that they're trying to move on from. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I also wonder if it's, it's similar to the, to the story that you told Jonathan, where over time, your perspective of that event also changes. So the farther they are from whatever that may have been in the past, like it might not seem as relevant or even as important to them. Whereas when it does come out for us, because we're hearing it for the first time or we're learning something about our parents that we just never knew about before. It's so important. It's such a big deal mm-hmm. when it comes out.
0: And, you know, you know, yeah. And its I don't know if either of you sort of come across this, but then you have, you have this other thing, too, that sometimes it's like, I think sometimes my mom will tell s- stories. And I think she, she's, and I love her to death. And I'm, this is, this is me saying, that maybe, maybe maybe she doesn't <laughs> listen, but it's just like, sometimes there's the flare of the like over, over dramatic, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh and so yeah. it's like the pendulum yeah. swinging the other way where you're just like, okay, I've heard this story already. And, and I don't, I think this is me being, this is me being like the 12 year old again, that is like, you know, that's like, oh mom, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, sometimes she'll just tell, it's like the same story over and over again, but then it's that thing where it changes slightly a little bit. So it's like, yeah. She's like a little bit of an unreliable narrator. And here's the thing too. it's like (laughs) I'm a horrible son saying this, right? Because I'm just like, oh my God, like I can't, I cannot fathom what my mom has had to live through. Like her MO is survival. Even now, like she's retired. She, but she's having to do a lot of like caretaking for my aunt who's having like some dementia issues and her husband. And so she's up here and I'm so happy that I can be here to help take care of her. But like Survival is her mo, and it has to. It, it's it's had to have been like her life. That's how she survived. You know what I mean? It's just like just moving forward. You know that's that's been her life. And then she's given me this life that like, oh, I can choose to be an artist. I can choose to be like, you know, my life is so easy, like compared to theirs. But like, and here I am. She's telling a story, and I'm be like, oh God, mom. Like I'm like I go back to being like a middle schooler, right? And it's so hard to. For me, I really struggle these days reconciling being like that bratty second generation Mm -hmm. Asian American kid and then being an adult and trying to like empathize. Like I find myself having to be like, Jonathan, don't be a dick. Just like (laughs) let your mom be your mom and like love her because like, I don't know. I don't know if that happens to you guys, but like that's something that I'm kind of struggling with as
2: nowadays. I think it comes back to, I've shown you tell this story multiple times and, uh, I don't know if you read the book or watched the film, The Namesake, but it's about, you know, an Indian boy growing up in America, a Bengali boy. Mm-hmm. And I read the book in my 20s and I kind of had that, yeah, he gets me. It's like, oh my God, mom and dad, why can't you get me? Right. And then I saw the film. Cal Penn plays the teenage boy becoming I mean, his 20s, but the dad is played by this amazingly empathetic actor, Irfan Khan. And I saw the film from the, uh, Father's point of view, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I literally walked out of the theater and called my dad and apologized. And then recently, Sharon and I did a rewatch, and we saw the whole film from the mom's perspective. And I think because this time around, now we're parents, mm-hmm. and I just think that's what Sharon said. I think perspective just changes. Uh, the longer you live with that, the longer you sit with it. And I think parents know. Like right now, my daughter says that, "Oh my god, Dad, why?" Blah blah blah. And I'm like, I just smile, mm-hmm. and I'm like. You don't get it yet, but you will. Like, I know you're going to grow up to be someone who gets it one day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing your mom knows that. That's what I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, but it's, I mean, it's, it's so complicated, right? Because it's like, I mean, it's, our, it's, it's like, I mean, I imagine everyone's relationship with their parents are complicated. And then for us being, you know, if you're like second generation, there's that, that gap of experience and culture even. I think there's still times where, you know, I mean, my mom has lived here since the late seventies, but there's still a huge culture gap. You but know, she's I been mean? here
2: longer now, right?
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and so, so it's hard, I think sometimes, but um, you know, we just, you try to find ways to connect. I mean, that's all you can do, right. And love them and appreciate them um, so much for everything they've given us. And it's, it's hard. I feel like I, it's overwhelming sometimes because, I just think of everything that they, like, again, they've given me this cush life because they want, like, that's, a par- that's what a parent wants to do, right? And I think it's funny because my uncle, who, again, I'm, like, super close to, his kids are in college now, and he's kind of bitching to me about, like, they're kind of like my son, you know, he's like your cousin, he's like your cousin, he's he's, a, he's an English major, like, what's he going to do with that, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, uncle, that's the curse, Uncle, I'm a comic book artist. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I know. And that's, so I'm the one that has to be like, listen, there's actually a lot of things you can do with an English degree, but also being like, but that that's your curse, man. That's the curse of being the first generation and the second generation is that like you've spent your whole life giving them this luxury and what do they do? They turn around and get English degrees or things like that. You know what I mean? Like that's all like, that's, that's sorry. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's easier for me to talk to my uncle about this stuff because I'm, I've always just been so close to him. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just interesting that you know. I, I think I had maybe that relationship with my uncle that I can kind of like talk to him more more relaxed about yeah. these things or
2: more more candidly about about these things than with my mom. It's so interesting. I mean, we're still kind of in full on therapy mode. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it. I need it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I, that's that's why Sharon and I don't need therapists. We have this podcast, right? Like. Uh, <laughs> I want, I mean, I have to pivot this to your work because that's one of the reasons I reached out. And, but hearing you say all this, I can't help but like rethink of your work and three pieces specifically, right? America's Odessa, but then also Tales of a Seventh Grade Lizard Boy, which which has just recently come out, which which we've had the chance to read. Like, I can't help but see kind of the lens of these things. And obviously in the back of Seventh Grade Lizard Boy, you do talk about your uncle, but I think about the role of the characters, right? I know America's, you were illustrator but there's a huge element to the storytelling piece that goes there and odessa there's the kids missing a family member seeking another one but an uncle and with some trauma i guess the real question is like how much do you feel that your personal kind of family experiences not just inform the characters but the characters takes in your books or is it They're unrelated. Everything's related. Everything's informed by everything. But like how close, how close to truth are some of these stories? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like,
0: I think if you, if you know me, you, you know that it, it, it's all incredibly informed by my life and the relationships I've had. I mean, like literally, Odessa is a love letter to my brothers. And those siblings are me and my brothers. You know what I mean? Like I am Virginia and so many ways. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. The older sister, the caretaker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, but then, you know, my, my uncle Fook, who is my uncle growing up, he is the basis for $4 because that's what my uncle is like. My uncle, he's, he's one of those dudes that I don't know if, if the two of you have, you know, family members like this, but he's one of those dudes that knows, always knows somebody, some, somebody somewhere. He's always, he's got a guy. He's got a guy. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got a guy, literally, like, um and, you know, and what's funny is when he was growing up, he he knew, and I think it was one of, it was a guy that my, um, one of my aunts was dating, but he was this guy that owned an auto repair shop, and we called him $4, and so that's where that name was from, is that, and, and but he was like, oh, I know this guy, like, he, you know, uh, so he's, that's, that's my uncle to a T, my uncle is, my uncle Fook is $4. You know less so I think lizard boy is is very different because it's it's kind of like taking sort of what I know my mom and my uncle sort of went through as immigrants and then sort of me sort of ad- adapting that experience in a way do you know what I mean because it's like yeah. it's not i I think that you know their story is not my story, and so i don't feel I don't feel comfortable trying to tell that story of like if I were to do a biography about my mom and my uncle. So, you know, so, so it's, it's interesting. but I, I just, and I mean, even, the, I mean, my family is a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that's reflected because I think, you know, it's, it's funny having done a handful of books and having written to myself and, you know, like I, I keep thinking about like, what is, what are the themes that I keep coming back to as I'm, you know, like in the process of working on other books too. And it, and it is family. Like it's found family, it's it's your blood family, and it's found family because those are, I mean, that's like the most important thing to me. I don't know where I would be without both of those things, you know?
2: Yeah, you know something. When I first started reading your work, I didn't know who you were. The book seemed interesting, so I read it, and I I didn't realize I'd read America's Well before and Odessa was, Mm -hmm. you know, originally the reason I reached out. So you read Jonathan Hill. So I'm like, all right, just some dude named Jonathan Hill, majority name, and then something I noticed as I was reading was, wait, these characters, are they Asian? Like, I couldn't tell. And I was like, oh, I thought that's weird. And then, you know, you read the back, you look up the author. It's like, I didn't initially realize you were Asian. And that was kind of something I loved about the story is once you kind of look at it and realize it, you see it in them. But like Odessa specifically, obviously very different from Lizard Boy, but it was the protagonists were Asian or kind of looked Asian. And that's clearly part of their backstory the wikipedia entry but that's not their story and, and i just really appreciated that and then obviously in lizard boy you made the shift completely these this is an immigrant family and there happens to be their friends are vietnamese immigrants as well but like can you talk about that decision early on and kind of like your first creator work uh versus set, lizard Boy going going all in on the immigrant story yeah no i mean i absolutely
0: i mean i think and that was a huge part I mean, that was, that was a very conscious decision because it's like, I, I think, I mean, this is this is what I've been trying to reconcile for my whole adult life is that, you know, I think so as an artist, I would do work or whatever, but I, I remember someone I used to work with seeing my work and they asked me, they were like, why do you only draw white people? And at first I was like, I don't know, what, what are you talking about? I got like really defensive and then I stopped and I thought, and I was like, oh shit, like I do only draw white people. What
2: was this? How were you when that moment happened? roughly?
0: Um, I think this is probably, you know, this is sort of at the beginning of my career. I was still working a day job and bookstores. And so I was doing, I think America's had maybe come out and I was, you know, I would still, I was doing illustration work and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh man, like it really kind of put a mirror to me. And I don't, I was like, why is that? And I think, you know, and it was just like, it was this huge thing. It was just this conversation that I had with this person at work. Uh, But it kind of really got me to think about like, you know, I'm Vietnamese American, like literally my dad is like skinned and they have blonde hair, blue eyes, and then I'm Vietnamese. Yeah. And if my default was to, if I find an illustration for like, oh, hey, we have this like illustration about like, you know, divorced parents and can you send us like the, you know, here's the concept. Mm -hmm. I would draw white people. Any illustrate, I draw white people, and I'm like, why is this? And you know, it was this thing where it was like, I mean, is that that internalized racism? Is it because like I grew, you know, I grew up primarily in the the Midwest. Yeah. Um, but then even then, you know, like I think a, a huge cultural sort of awakening for me was when I moved overseas um, for high school, because then I'm in a much more culturally diverse. Environment and then it allows me to sort of like look at myself. But even then, having that opportunity, I still defaulted to this. And so, yeah, I mean, that's this is this huge thing that I feel like I could
2: talk about forever. But then, yeah, you, so, you think of, some of that was also like Clark Kent and Peter Parker and Ben Grimm and all those guys too? Though
0: I mean, maybe I mean maybe because, but is it also just because it's like, oh, I that, I think it's just, that's the culture. Yeah. That's that's what I grew up around. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you don't see yourself, like, you know, it's just like, I, I didn't have that opportunity to see myself. Yeah. So I didn't get to see myself. Like it's, I mean, I know that that sounds like so repetitive, but like, it's true, right? Like if everything I was reading, everything I was watching until, you know, like, maybe high school or college where I like, you know, got to watch more like Hong Kong Mm -hmm. cinema or Chinese cinema or like, you know what I mean? Like things like that. It's just like everywhere you looked was white. Yeah, You know what I mean? And so it's like, maybe that's what I saw. And so, you know, I think I sort of started being like, well, that's fucked up. And so it's like, no, now I'm going to conscientiously like, because guess what? In our culture, there are racially diverse characters. And so now I get this illustration job and they're like, hey, I, you know, like, can you do this about, divorced parents. I'm going to be like, okay. And guess what? You know, now the dad's going to be black and the the mom's going to be Vietnamese. Yeah. And so I'll do that. And so I think a big part of Odessa, well, a big part, but also a small part is being like, you know what? I want some kid to be able to pick up a book and have it not be about being Vietnamese American, Mm -hmm. but that those characters are Vietnamese American. Cause like being Vietnamese American is a huge part of who I am but is it relevant to a lot of things? No, but like, I still want people to see, like, I, that's that's how I want there to be representation is, yeah, I, like, it doesn't have to be a big deal, especially because like, so much of being Vietnamese American is usually tied to like, war and trauma yeah. and re- being refugees and like, and yes, like that is a huge part of my identity too, but also like, it's also not as much because that's my mom's identity, you know what I mean? So like, it's in my identity in so much as that, it's passed down to me, but also like a lot of us are growing up and we don't have as close to the of a connection that. So I really just was like, why can't there just be kids going through this post-apocalyptic <laughs> journey and have them be Vietnamese American and have it not be a thing? Like, it doesn't have
2: to be mentioned every single like, yeah, yeah. it they, they might happen to be eating pho, but they might happen to be eating pizza. They might happen to be playing video games or reading comic books too. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. One thing that is apparent in Lizard Boy is the amount of loneliness he feels like it's painfully, I mean, I'm i am using that word intentionally. Like it's, it's painfully obvious that he's, he's crying in his bed some nights, right? He's, Mm -hmm. he's feeling very different from everybody around him. And as you were telling your childhood story, Jonathan, you didn't touch on that so much, but I'm wondering how much of that was now that you're reflecting back on who you were, if, if you were experiencing that on a, on a deeper level. I don't think I had thought
0: about that until you brought it up, Sharon, but obviously I think there was, right? You know, even if you have friends and you're close and I mean, making books, it's maybe not the best way, but there is amount of therapy and release in making that. And, you know, there is something interesting about like doing a book about, you know, for middle schoolers that takes place in middle school and you go back and you have to relive that. And I think there's something, there's, There's a lot of really beautiful things that you remember that you get to share, but then you're also remembering like, it's almost harder for you now looking back because you're looking at that person when you were young, you feel so, so much sorrow for them because I think that you don't realize how hard things are for them. Yeah. You know, like when you're in it, you're just like, this is your life. Like I'm a kid and this is my life. And so, you know, whatever. But then when you're older, you're just crying because you wish you could hug them.
1: You have a lot more empathy. Exactly, yeah, exactly, more empathy.
0: exactly. And so I think maybe, you know, like I said, I don't think I'd really thought about that, but obviously I did because it's it's in there, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting talking to you now because reading the book without knowing anything about you on a personal level is so different than, I'm actually just thumbing through the pages and I stopped on one where it's the family sitting around the table and um the mom offers him kimchi right and it's it's exactly what you just told us about of like you know friends coming over and experiencing new foods and new cuisine and i just i see so much of that in your drawings and 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 in how you're telling the stories
0: thank you i think you know one of my close friends from college who you know i've i've been so close to you know the last 20 years and i think he gave me the best review as he he read it and you know i mean he's known me half my life and he was just like lizard boy is you not not the character but he's like this book this book is the most yeah. you book that you've ever made because he's like i've known you and he's just like it makes me think of coming coming to your house like visiting you know your your uncle Yeah. And, and sharing pho with me and like teaching me how to use chopsticks and like, there's just like how our friendship is, is just sharing experiences and going through life together. And I was just like, that's, that's what I want. And in a way, that's what that book is that, I mean, it's a love letter to that too, about how you feel alone, but what makes you feel less alone. Right. Is these people that love you and let you love them, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just so touching. It's one of those things where it's my I have a fifth grader and so he's a little younger mm-hmm. than a seventh grader, but middle school's hard. Like, you know, he's in his first year of middle school and we moved to a new a new neighborhood and just a couple months ago. So in the middle of the school year, and it, it is a primarily white neighborhood and he's mixed race. He's half Asian, half black, and mm-hmm. he's finding his way. I mean, he's he's he really likes basketball, so that helps. Like I think, you know, having having a skill that's socially acceptable, I think, mm-hmm. um, helps you to break down those barriers. But I just, I related so much as I was just kind of going through and, and reading this. It's, I'm like, yeah, I, I see it. I know Lizard Boy on and, a deep level. And, you know,
0: it's so funny too, because I think, I think as adults, you just, I think it's easy for us to think back about like, oh, high school, that's the worst. Right. And, you know, like, I, I actually love both my experiences. Like, even if there was hardship and loneliness, it's like, I- I love both of those things, but like, yeah, you, I think now it's like, you look back and you go, actually, you know, what was the real shit? It was middle school. Middle school was actually the absolute, (laughs) absolute worst. The worst. Like it was absolute worst. and like, it's funny. I feel like as, 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 uh, you know, like culturally, I think we've kind of just like, oh, it's high school, but no, like. It is. It is not. That is the lie. Um, middle yeah. school is actually the worst.
1: Yeah. Same. I mean, whether you're a girl, a boy, any any color, any shape, any part of the world, middle school, <laughs> it's crazy because it's also it's all these things, right? It's like hairs coming out of places that it never existed before, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's just yeah, yeah, yeah ideas yeah. And then, coming yeah. into your
1: head that never existed before. Like suddenly you've got feelings about things. It's it's a crazy time. Well, so. Usually towards the end of our conversations, we put all of our guests through speed rounds. And I think I think you've earned your spot in a speed round, Jonathan. Are you ready for that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, let's do it. All right, perfect. What is one thing about you that no one expects? Um,
0: well, I, I have three kidneys. Maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind. You have
1: three kidneys? Uh, yeah, but
0: that's, there's an asterisk next to that. It's not like I was born with that. I had a transplant. Um, I had kidney failure. So two of them don't work. Oh, um, wow. And so, I yeah, I had a kidney transplant in like 2015. And so- so that's sort of the unexpected thing. I would say the other unexpected thing is a lot of people don't expect that I spent high school overseas in the Middle East. So that would be the other yes. thing. Is, I mean, that's two, two answers that, sorry, like cheating a little bit. Yeah.
1: But the way you said the kidney thing, it sounded like like one of those, like you were born with three. I know. It
0: is a little more exciting, but it's like, yeah, but that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a weird thing that I didn't know about. Like when you get a transplant,
1: they don't take out old kidneys. They just add them in. I would have thought, yeah, I would have thought they would have replaced it. That's-
0: yeah, unless there's like some reason like some medical reason to remove it. Yeah. They just they just keep adding them in. How do you have enough room for them? How does that work? They they put it, they kind of, you know, your guts are kind of squishy. So <laughs> they can just slide it in somewhere else. So it's actually kind of in the front. It my my new one, it's my brother's.
1: Oh, that's best so Christmas great. present. He
0: doesn't ever have to he get me a Christmas present ever, ever again. again. Yeah, and he yeah. So he and he has it because he he gave me this awesome one. Um, it kind of rests in my hip. His kidney is sort of resting in my my hip bone, kind of in the yeah. front
1: right of me. Yeah. So, so you have a piece of your brother with you all the time, exactly, literally, exactly. I, I literally do. It's keeping me. It's keeping me alive. I love that. That's great. What is a book, a movie, or a television show, not one of your own? <laughs> with characters that you can relate to.
0: Oh gosh, I feel like I feel like I watch everything and I relate to everything and I cry to everything. Like mm. it's hard to think of something right off. I think, well maybe, you know, there's one of there's a book that not a lot of people know about by an old mentor and professor of mine, Ted Stern, and it's called Fuzz and Pluck. It's published by Fanographics and I think I was so close to him and I think he could see some of himself in me too and his so his book is about it's about this um this plucked chicken and this stuffed bear and they're sort of two different parts of his personality where the chicken is very like angry all the time and and sort of crass and the 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 stuffed bear is always worrying and has super oh. anxious and so like yeah. but it's funny because it's like if you it, it kind of like maybe what you're saying is i think if you knew ted yeah you could see him in those two characters and i think I could see myself in those two characters in the same way I could see sort of myself in him a little bit too. And so I think those are two characters that I think I, I mean, I think it's, he's a severely underrated cartoonist, but I think those two, those two characters um, kind of have both two parts of me in there too.
1: That's great. So what's the name of the book again? Uh, it's called
0: Fuzz and Pluck.
1: Fuzz and Pluck. We're writing that down. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Great. What is your favorite mom dish?
0: Oh, um, so when I would go visit her I would ask her to make boluklak. It's like shaken beef. It's basically like stir-fried beef but then you serve it over like a bed of lettuce with tomatoes and hard boiled eggs and these like pickled onions. It'd be easy enough for me like I could always make that but mm-hmm. it was something that's like or you get it in a restaurant but like I think I just always ask my mom to make it cuz it just makes me feel like like coming home. Yeah. And it, it's it's funny though too because it's like you know I would think it would be pho, but since she lived and the rest of my family lived in Southern California for so long,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: so cheap and easy to get pho that I don't even think yeah. they make it at home anymore. So like right. it, it's just funny that, that how that changed. Where I think when we were growing up in the Midwest, you couldn't you couldn't just go somewhere and get pho, right? So right. we could only right. have it at home, but now that that's that's changed. But and, and mom still still makes your favorite dish when you go and visit her. Yeah. And then egg, she makes um She makes chaya, which is the Vietnamese like egg rolls. Mm, And she always makes, and even when I would go visit her, she'd, she'd make like a hundred and freeze them. And then she, I'd put them in my suitcase and then (laughs) take them home. Or she like, she mails them and she like freezes them forever. And then she mails them. And so they're like, just like, just time to put them in the fridge by the time they get to us. So that's something else that she makes that I'll always like, I love that she makes and just always has them for me. You know,
1: that's awesome. That's awesome. And she recently moved closer to you, you said, right?
0: Yeah. So it's last, last summer. And so it's kind of,
1: you know, it's in, like f-
0: food is her, is her love language, obviously. Right. And it's, it's funny because I never really thought about that until, um, like, I'm always like, she's always pushing food on us. But I remember being at her house, like when we, when we would go visit her, we'd be there for four days and she'd cook enough food for like eight days. Wow. But we'd have to eat it all. Yeah. And it would just be like so much we were like, mom, like just give us a break. Like also, we like we want to go get some in and out, like, because we're only in Southern California, yeah. you know, once a year. Yeah. But like I remember being at her house and reading she subscribes to Time magazine, and there was an article by Viet Tan when who wrote The Sympathizer, and he wrote this article about how in Vietnam you don't say I love you, you ask if you've been fed. Hmm. Yeah. That's how and I'm like here at my mom's reading this article complaining how she's cooking too much food. And, right. and then like, I'm crying because I'm like, this is how my mom- Shows her love for you. Shows. Because, yeah. you know, and it's the thing too, like to look, you know, to put things into context, you're just like, she grew up in Vietnam. They didn't have food every day. You know what I mean? Like, right. because, yeah. and, and and so just like, I can't even, again, like I can't even fathom that. Right. Because I've never not been able to just- open a bag of chips or something or like, right. you know you know what I mean? Right. Like, and so like, right. that's even more important for her. And so it's funny because it's like, again, it's like we were talking about looking at my book and looking at it a little bit differently with context of having this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with those story, like the, the, in life too, right? It's like, oh, right, like our parents do this thing, but then we see it in context and it looks at it totally different. And yeah, it makes you feel for it a little bit more and I definitely, you know, be more empathetic, you know? And I think that's, I mean, that's stories though, so, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and age and wisdom. I think that's all part of it too, right? Yeah, abso-
0: yeah, absolutely. And like, there's no way that you can appreciate that when you're younger. It, it, unfortunately it's one of those things that takes time. And again, that's why I feel like I'm always trying to go to my mom and be like, mom, I'm so sorry. Like oh. I was, a, I was a jerk. Back then, like, I understand more now, you know what I mean? Even if I'm a jerk now,
1: I'm sorry, you know, like, we're working through it, yeah. That's great. I hope she listens to this so she can hear that. That's really sweet. What's your least favorite food?
0: Salt and vinegar chips.
1: Okay, we can't be friends anymore, sorry.
0: (laughs) No, here's the thing is, I am a chip, I am a chip maniac, like, but so that's the thing is that's, that's the only, if we buy chips, like, I will eat them all. And so if my wife wants to have chips for her own She'll buy she hosts. has to buy salt and vinegar chips because she know I won't touch them so I I think I think if growing up they when my dad would come home mm-hmm. and he take his work shoes off they kind of smelled like vinegar
1: oh god
0: oh come <laughs> on and so that's that was that that's the context for that though you know where I'm like I, I think people eat those chips and I'm like it reminds me of my dad, not in a your good way. Your so, Yeah, yeah so exactly. So now it's
2: like, all right. You know, <laughs> like, Jonathan, I, I liked you. I reached out to you for the show and <laughs> I read your books and you just ruined it, man. You just ruined it.
1: <laughs> but now that you say that, when I have opened, I notice it the moment I open a bag of salt and vinegar chips. Like It doesn't, it doesn't smell like feet any other time, except that moment that you open the bag of chips and that aroma comes right out of the bag. I, I have to agree with you, Jonathan.
2: <laughs> you know, Sharon, I think this podcast partnership just might be over because, like, right, hey, hard truths, hard truths are happening when you ask the big questions. Okay, <laughs> Jonathan, what does being a modern minority mean for you? I think it is. I mean, I think it's finding your way,
0: right? Or at least that was that's what it's been for me. And and I think you know, talking to other Asian American people that I've I've met it's it is it's like it, it is us trying to find out who we are and where we belong and have that conversation and I think share that uncertainty with each other and so I, I mean that's what it's been for me my, and that's I feel like my whole adult life and my and the books that I make it's it's asking that question and trying to find answers to that I don't know so I actually I guess maybe I don't know that's why I'm doing what I'm doing to try to find that answer,
2: or maybe that's a better answer. I, I love that. I can. I. I feel like so much of anyone who tells you they have the answers is probably lying. And I think we're all kind of on this continual journey. And whatever it is that we do, podcasts, friendships, family, comic books—like um, other than awesome stories and awesome drawings—I think that was kind of really where I connected with your work. And I just, I can't wait to see the next things. I hope you'll keep trying to figure it out in your work, Jonathan. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Jonathan.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful talking with both of you.
1: And that's our show.
2: Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
1: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
2: Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, Hi, mom at modmypod.com.
1: You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
2: That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel,
1: And I'm still Sharon Lee Toney.
2: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.